Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a podcast covering your favorite crew featuring Peter and David Goh. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to episode 11 of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. I'm your host, Peter Go here alongside our co-host, David Go. Today's trivia question will be answered at the end of the podcast, so make sure to stay tuned to hear the answer. And today's trivia question is, who was the Brewers' first manager? So again, that'll be Brewers, not Pilots. So 1970, who was the Brewers' first manager? Wait till the end of the podcast and hear the answer. Uh, just a heads up, we are recording this Saturday night, unable to do it Sunday like we typically do. David will be hopping on by himself to cover Sunday's game. But just to recap this week, uh, Brewers three-game set against the Twins and then a four-game series in Chicago. I'm going to go through game by game, talk a little bit about what we saw, highs and lows of the week, and where the Brewers stand at the end of the week. Anything to add, David, before we get into it? No, I'm excited to get into it. Brewers have had a little bit of an up and down week as we've kind of seen for the first couple weeks of the season, but I think that the Brewers are really being able to battle. They've they've not had some of the weapons that they should have had like we might have seen going into the year, but they've they've been able to still stay in there and a big thing will be not getting on that long losing skid. I think with with the expanded playoffs that'll help and then they can maybe catch fire at the end. And that's definitely um, exaggerated this year with the shortened season. Streaks matter even more. You just don't have time to waste um, every game, as we all know. Every game matters even more this year than it typically does. And yeah, quick, short five-game slides are going to be really, could be detrimental to teams. And at this point, I think it's just really important to stay, stay, stay close, stay in the race, and give yourself the opportunity to make a run and who knows, maybe take a shot at the division. But anyways, uh, let's get into it. So game one of the week, Monday, Brewers-Twins. We got a matchup of Randy Dobnik and Adrian Hauser. The Brewers falling in this one 4-2. to Hauser did go five innings, um, giving up six hits and four earned runs. All four of those runs coming off of an Eddie Rosario grand slam. Kind of tough luck for Hauser. Um, I believe is a hit batter, a, a, something like an infield single. Uh, Rosario ended up coming to the plate um, after Yelich had a potential foul ball that he wasn't able to get to, and Rosario able to get the ball out of the ballpark and give the <laughs> give the Twins a lead, um, and really didn't look back after that. That was in the third inning, and Brewers only able to score two runs off of Dobnik and the rest of the Twins' pen. Your thoughts on game one of the week? Yeah, I think Jerry Augustine summed it up best when he said uh, Eddie Rosario just put a good swing on the ball, hit the ball at the ballpark. We always got to show some love to Jerry Augustine. Yes. You got to love uh, all of his little phrases that he uses. Mm-hmm. He's got about three or four, and that's he yeah. includes like he includes at least one of them. Oh, every every, every single. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, but any thoughts besides yeah. uh, Augustine? Yeah, yeah Dobnik pitched really well. He actually had a .9 ERA after the game, and entering entering that Monday matchup. Dobnek and Hauser, minimum, I think about 10 innings, were the AL and the NL ERA leaders. And so not necessarily the guys that you would typically expect to be at the top of the league. I'm not saying that Dobnik and Hauser are the best pitchers in their respective leagues. Of course. I, I don't think that that's really anything that anyone believes in. Right. But at the same time, they still performed well up to this point. And Dobnik shutting down the Brewers' offense for five innings, uh, like Peter mentioned. And so I, I think that overall... 
it was avoiding the one mistake, and, and I, that's something that it's going to happen sometimes. I don't think it's something to be overly concerned about, but at the same time, they allowed a, a grand slam. What are you going to do about it? And so offense was not really firing. Four runs sometimes is enough to win the game. Average team scores about four and a half runs per game. And so Brewers offense clearly struggling off Dobnik and the rest of the Twins pen. So foul game one. I don't think there is is really that much else to be said about it other than Freddie Peralta's stellar performance in the bullpen. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Peralta coming in after Hauser. Hauser, like I said, going five innings. And Freddie coming in and throwing four scoreless innings with eight strikeouts, looking very good out of the pen again. I think this really cements his role in the bullpen, whether for better or for worse. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what Freddie... For better. I'm not sure what Freddie wants, but as far as whether or not he wanted to get in the rotation or not. But for the Brewers, I think it is for better. Peralta's been very, very good out of the pen and not so good in the rotation. And he's had opportunities, and I think that with his recent success, that only cements uh, his place in the bullpen. Yeah, Freddie Peralta has a .96 fielding independent pitching right now. His ERA is 3, but he struck out 16.5 batters per 9. He's walked only 3 per 9 and has yet to allow a home run. Fangrass has him as the second most valuable Brewers pitcher behind Brandon Woodruff, and that's even with most of his innings coming as a reliever. I think Freddie Peralta is going to be a lockdown reliever, maybe a guy who can go two-plus innings out of the pen. We've already seen him in that role a couple times over the past couple of games, and so I think Freddie Peralta, really, this game and the, the outing in Chicago where he came in in relief for Woodruff, we'll get to that a little bit later, but those, yeah, like you said, kind of cemented his role there. He's been kind of a frustrating guy to watch in the rotation. He has so much talent. His arm is so alive. But at the same time, he's not really able to command his off-speed pitches very well. And he's primarily relied on that fastball-curveball combination. And so because of it, he's been able to get through maybe a couple innings and then get hit hard, whether it's second time through the order or in the first right. inning for, for whatever reason it is. And so I think for that reason, he is suited better for a bullpen role. Yeah, he's best definitely has shown that he's best suited one time through the order, uh, limiting the number of times that players are able to get numerous at-bats off of him because of the limited arsenal that he often goes with. Um, and just small things to mention, Hira going two for four with an RBI double. I'm sorry, with a home run. And Arcia with an RBI double as well. So again, Brewers falling 4-2 on Monday in game one of the series against the Twins. In game two, the Brewers taking this one 6-4 to four in a matchup of Josh Lindblom and uh, Tyler Clippard, the Twins deciding to bullpen this game and much needed win for the Brewers. Your thoughts on this game? Yeah, it was another marquee matchup. Former KBO MVP versus <laughs> Nike glasses uh, male model. I don't know if you remember that, but I know on like 76th Street and Layton in uh, Greendale, if, of course, if you're not from the Milwaukee area, you don't know where that is, but but there there was a, a Nike glasses, Nike eyewear. I don't know exactly what you say, what, what you call it, but they had Tyler Clifford as the the model on the front of the store for the longest time. I remember every time I'd walk, I'd, I'd drive past it, I'd wonder to myself, is that really Tyler Clifford? And then I saw it up close one time, and it was indeed Tyler Clifford. And I think you were the only one who was wondering, is that Tyler yes, Clifford? Because nobody probably. else in Milwaukee knew who he was. Probably, but yeah, Tyler Clifford allowed a run in his one inning. Brewers were down 4-1. Twins blew a 4-1 lead. Um, I think this probably, you know, Warriors blew a 3-1 lead, <laughs> then Twins blew a 4-1 lead right up there. 
But but the Brewers able to make a nice comeback and Jed Jerko's two run shot really putting the Brewers ahead up six to four then and they they did not relinquish that lead that they had. Bullpen was dominant. Claudio, Yardley, Phelps, Williams, and Hayter each pitching an inning scoreless, only allowing three hits combined while striking out eight. I have to say it it is a little strange to look at the box score and see every reliever just going one full inning. It seems like most of the time we're looking at especially when a starter goes four, we're seeing Nowadays, either Suter, Burns, uh, excuse me, uh, what's his name, Peralta, going multiple innings. It is. It almost seems strange to see four innings out of the starter and then five different relievers all going an inning. Just not not what we've seen as of late. Yeah, for sure. But I think the Brewers bullpen has done a nice job. I think that's been kind of under the radar over these last couple of weeks because we've been complaining a lot about the offense. But the bullpen has been exceptional. And that's really been able to keep the Brewers at the, where they're at. I think right. I think they're sitting at nine and ten entering Sunday, and so that's a big that's a big yeah the big way thing considering the offense has been right the poor. offense has been very poor, and like you mentioned, the, the bullpen hasn't received the praise, and even Josh Hader, nobody's really talking about him. Uh, scoreless so far, he hasn't allowed a run. Hasn't allowed a hit. Hasn't allowed a hit. So yeah. I mean, yeah, he, he not did a bad that, start. That kind of tumultuous eighth inning he came in with two outs and took him 18 pitches before he retired uh the batter that he needed to but it was it was albeit very drawn out he was effective still he got the out he needed to and then was able to get the 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 save in the ninth inning even though it did take him i think about 40 pitches total and so i yeah the brewers the brewers bullpen has been probably by far the best the best aspect of the club and that proved true in the Brewers 6-4 victory on Tuesday but unfortunately the um, the Brewers bullpen did not perform as well in their 12-2 loss the following day on Wednesday Eric Lauer got hit kind of hard although he did get what you might call babbipped meaning Eric Lauer had a lot of balls that were put in play against him that really shouldn't have dropped but they did whether they were bloop singles jam shots broken bats and they just got they just got through. They found a hole, and so the the Twins ended up capitalizing and scoring seven runs off of him. Yeah, he got hit around pretty well. Like you mentioned, we saw some bloop singles. I think from our Arias, Polanco, uh, even Cruz in there with a the broken bat RBI single. So definitely some of that as well. Uh, what did he pitch well outside of that? No, um, but maybe maybe not three and two thirds, seven earned runs bad, but still another poor start from Lauer and ultimately led to him being sent down to Appleton. Yeah, and that was a move that was made after the game. Grimm was optioned to the alternate training site in Appleton. Justin Grimm, who pitched two thirds of an inning allowing four runs and has really not been good for the Brewers so far in his couple outings, he was placed on the 10 day injured list with a callous laceration, meaning that his his finger was calloused and basically the the callus burst and so that's something that may sound kind of weak or kind of dumb but as a pitcher that's something that's pretty serious because you need to be able to feel the ball well and if every pitch is irritating that on your finger you you really can't throw well i know a lot of people complain about pitchers going out with blisters saying like oh pitchers from the 1940s would never have gone out with a blister and i don't really think that's true but but at the same time 
Um, the Brewers did place Grimm on the injured list, but the big news coming from that was the two players that they recalled. Ray Black was placed on the 45-day IL, transferred from the 10-day IL, just meaning that his rotator cuff strain recovery has not been going maybe quite as well as expected, and they needed a 40-man roster spot to open up for Drew Rasmussen, who was recalled from the, the alternate training site, as was Angel Perdomo. Rasmussen and Perdomo both have electric stuff. They're both relief pitchers, and Rasmussen was a, a sixth-round pick of the crew a few years ago out of Oregon State. He's underwent two Tommy John surgeries already, and even though he is only about 24, Rasmussen has a fastball that sits about 97, 98, can get up to even 100 miles an hour sometimes, and that's coming off of two Tommy John surgeries already. And he could have been a, maybe a, a first, second, third-round pick if not for the second Tommy John surgery. That caused him to fall. The Brewers capitalized on it, and they have a, a guy who could be a dominant relief arm, and, and I, I'm excited to get a look at Rasmussen looking forward at these next coming weeks, and even into the next couple of years, I think he'll play a big role in the Brewers' pen. Yeah, where do you see Council slotting in Perdomo and especially Rasmussen this year? I think that Council will will ease them in, so they'll they'll pitch in lower leverage situations initially. I think that maybe is why we haven't seen him in the first two games. Usually, Council tries to get his guys in, but with a uh, tightly contested matchups against the division rival Cubs over the first two games so far. Excuse me, first yeah, first two games since they've been recalled. Uh, I think that's really the reason we haven't seen them. But I would I would actually not be totally shocked if we see Rasmussen in more of a late inning role as we get later on in the year, especially if he does perform well. Perdomo, I don't know if I'd quite see that, but Perdomo has great stuff as well. Yeah, 6'8 lefty, just throws gas, um, upper 90s fastball out of the bullpen. Kind of the typical struggling with command that is typical with guys that are throwing sometimes triple digits. And like you mentioned, Rasmussen does have more hype and more expectation around him. Maybe Corbin Burns-esque of, uh, was that 2019? When he was great out of the pen. Excuse me, 2018. Yeah, you're right. 2018, not 2019 Burns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. Uh, 2018 Corbin Burns um, coming out of the bullpen um, after being recalled. Who knows what we'll see, but there is some expectation, more expectation around Rasmussen than Perdomo, it seems. Yeah, and I think that it kind of speaks to the level of of the game where we're at right now where the pitchers are because the brewers picked up perdomo a 6-8 lefty who tops out about 98 miles an hour as a minor league free agent and yes he has command issues but really in any other era a 98 mile an hour fastball coming from a 6-8 lefty would be highly coveted and it still is in today's game but because he was unable to find the strike zone, have cons consistent use of his secondary pitches, that's why the Brewers were able to get him uh, as a minor league free agent. And the other move that the Brewers made that was of note was Luis Urias being recalled. He was a guy that was traded in that pretty significant trade with the Padres. Trent Grisham and, and Zach Davies going over for Eric Lauer, who we were talking about just previously, who was just optioned down. But Urias coming up, and he was a top prospect just a year or two ago. He struggled a little bit in the major leagues, but also has been a, a terrific performer in the minor leagues, small sample size in the majors, and has impressed in the five games that he's played so far. Yeah, five games, five games in, Urias is 6 for 15 with four RBIs, uh, obviously hitting 400. So off to a hot start. It'll be interesting to see how Council uses him alongside 
Arcia and Hira up the middle, potentially looking at Hira DHing more if they want to keep RC mm -hmm. in the lineup. Uh, currently, RC is hitting better than he has in the past, um, so maybe that'll lend himself to getting in the lineup a little bit more. But it is a little, it is exciting to see what Urias can do for the Brewers this year. Yeah, they they've had Urias already played a game at third base. He started at shortstop. He started at second. Even in just the five games that they've played. Hira's DH'd a couple times so Urias can get on the field. Arcia even slotted over to center field late in one of the games. And so we could see Arcia maybe sliding into more of a super utility role. Sogard being another guy that's that's, that's factored in in that log jam, as is Jerko, Brock Holt, guys that they have that they can mix and match. Overall, I think I think Brewer fans want to see more of Luis Urias. And I think Council will have Urias's name in the lineup card most days. But in order to call up Urias, they did have to option someone down and that guy the odd man out was logan morrison morrison is a guy who hit the home run against the reds and that was about it that he did in his brewers tenure gave the uh the middle finger to the twins dugout as he was uh, rounding third base a little bit of a rivalry that he had with trevor bauer but but morrison was really looking good in in spring training in the alternate excuse me in the training camp that the brewers had this summer but kind of ends up being the odd man out. Not much positional versatility, didn't produce right away with the bat, and so they designated him for assignment. He was out of minor league options since he has a certain amount of service time, a few years. And so when he cleared waivers, he also elected free agency. So Logan Morrison is no longer in the Brewers organization. Yeah, interesting to see. I'm assuming that some team will pick him up. It seems like he could be a valuable bat off the bench, maybe getting some starts here or there. It's unfortunate the Brewers weren't able to see more of him. Uh, we did hear a lot about a lot of good things about spring training and the expend, extended camp that the Brewers ended up having and how well he looked. So it is unfortunate we weren't able to see more of him, but it really came down to versatility. And nowadays, when you only can play, I mean, primarily he was probably going to be at first base only, and we have other options as well. It's just limited to what you can do. So anyways, a couple of moves that the Brewers made. Uh, really, those are pretty much all the moves for the week, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yeah, so those are the moves the Brewers made this, this week. Uh, second series of the week against our Chicago rivals, the Chicago Cubs, in a four-game set. Um, every game's important, obviously, but this is an important series anytime the Brewers play in the Cubs. But as well as the Cubs have started off, even more important for the Brewers to play well. Try to stay within shouting distance of the Cubs in the NL Central. Currently, as we speak, this, the, the Cubs at the top of the major leagues as far as their record. And in Game 1, the Cubs did get the best of the Brewers, beating them 4-2. Hugh Darvish dazzled, um, going seven innings and allowing just one hit, and that one hit coming in the seventh. Uh, so the Brewers struggling to, to hit off of Darvish and unable to take Game 1. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd like to point out that Justin Smoke, who many Brewer fans have have grown to dislike in this young season that we've had so far. He did have two of the hits the Brewers had and both of the extra base hits. So <laughs> I am a Justin Smoke aficionado, and I think that he'll turn it around. But he did hit a home run in that seventh inning off Darvish. I watched this game until after the seventh inning. I was a little bit frustrated, to be honest, with, with the Brewers' offense. And kind of watching Darvish just dice, dice the Brewers yeah. was frustrating to see. Of course, Darvish is a great pitcher, and so I don't think that it's something that we should be overly concerned about, but one of those things that, 
you know, it happens from time to time, kind of like we were saying with the Eddie Rosario game. The Brewers aren't going to always be able to score a lot of runs off the starting pitcher, and this was a case where the offense kind of went cold, and Brett Anderson went four and a third, two runs, but he really did not did not have luck on his side, and Burns came in three and two-thirds, two runs as well. I kind of wish the Brewers didn't have Brett Anderson, to be honest. He's like a, a worse version of Chase Anderson. <laughs> He's like a worse version of Wade Miley, too, another comp, comp for that. But, you know, the Brewers have him. He's their five-starter, really. And so we saw Anderson and Burns, the combination there. And that was the same combination that they had in Anderson's previous start with Anderson starting and Burns finishing. It'll be interesting to see, we mentioned Lauer um, being sent down to the Appleton site, and we actually didn't mention that Burns will be filling in for Lauer in that starting role. Burns piggybacking with Anderson lately. Interesting to see what the Brewers will do. Maybe Peralta moves into that role. Not really sure. Maybe it won't be as structured as they have made it. But Burns coming in, throwing three and two-thirds innings, giving up two runs early, but still looking pretty good out of the pen. Uh, Good to see from Burns. But, yeah, we, we, we've talked about Anderson already before. We were never a huge fan of the signing from the beginning. Hasn't exactly impressed. I guess time will tell to see how this progresses. All I can say is that I hope he stays healthy and continues to provide depth to the rotation. I think that's mm-hmm. the best we can hope for. Uh, but, again, Brewers falling, game one. Cubs taking this one 4-2. I did see the uh, Christian Yelich tweet about not needing any help to hit off of Darvish. I don't know. I don't even remember when that tweet was from, but I definitely heard that one, that tweet being resurfaced resurfaced by Cubs fans after mm-hmm. Darvish dominated the Brewers in yeah. game one. Yeah, Yelich went 0-3 that game. So, not a good look for Yelich, but, of course, he's one of the best players in the majors. He'll turn it around. I'm not overly concerned. Something to note, actually, real quick. Yelich's weighted runs created plus, which is an overall measurement of hitting, is league average actually right now he's hitting 172 which is not good but his on base is 284 actually not good also (laughs) but his slugging is 469 which is considerably above average and so he's uh he's he's been playing pretty well his average exit velocity is actually tops on the brewers but he's not making enough contact he's striking out in 32.4 percent of his plate appearances which is one of the worst marks on the brewers Keston at 38%, which is not good at all. That's like Keon Ke- I was about to say. <laughs> I think Keon was 37% yeah. in one year where he played almost full-time. Juan Francisco-esque. Yeah, but but Hura, Smoke, and Gamble all have uh, all have strikeout rates between 37 and 39%. Not good at all. But Yelich is quite high. Jerko is quite high. And I, I don't think that's necessarily a trend we're only seeing with the Brewers right now of high strikeout rates with the with the pitchers being better, with better stuff, more strikeout stuff, and also hitters not having a traditional spring training to get built up for the year. And so I think getting those live at-bats will will naturally cause the strikeout rates to go down over the next couple of weeks. And I think they already gradually are. Hitters actually in the past week have hit significantly better than they did over the previous two weeks. So the Brewers striking out 11 times against Yu Darvish clearly did need help from Darvish in that game, but they were able to bounce back in the Friday game, winning 4-3. to three. They were actually losing in the game 3-1, to one, and then put up a three spot in the sixth inning. That was a big three-run shot by Christian Yelich. Good to see from Yelich, good to see for Brewers fans, and a nice come-from-behind win for the Brewers. Much needed as well against the Cubs. Brandon Woodruff with the start, going only four and a third and giving up three runs, uh, facing off against Alec Mills. But like you said, 
big moment for the Brewers. Christian Yelich, three-run shot, able to give them the lead. And the Brewers turning to uh, what maybe a uh, maybe we'll see more of this. We've definitely seen it so far this year. Devin Williams coming in late and Josh Hader closing the door, getting his fourth save of the game. And again, uh, not giving up a hit, as you mentioned, who he has not given up a hit all year. So again, Brewers bullpen able to do their job. After Woodruff going four and a third, the, the bullpen didn't allow a run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even though some might say Yelich was the player of the game, I think that the real player of the game for this was Freddie Peralta. He came in with the bases loaded and one out in the fifth inning in relief of Woodruff, and he was able to retire the next two hitters, I believe both on strikeouts, and Peralta then pitched another inning and a third of scoreless baseball, and so that was a big a big outing that Peralta was able to have in those middle innings that really kept the Brewers in the game when the Cubs could have swung it wide open. Yeah, definitely made Woodruff's start look better when you look at the box score, Woodruff four and a third, three, in, three earned runs. Could have been a lot worse. And Peralta even going two innings with just one hit. Doesn't look like anything too special, but big big situations that he was able to get out of. Big momentum swings and a good good win that the Brewers were able to take from the Cubs on Friday. Yeah, Devin Williams did look really good also. He threw an inning and a third scoreless, three strikeouts, fastball changeup combination. He was up to 98-99 with his four-seam fastball, and his changeup is about 85 miles an hour. Got some really bad swings from the Cubs. He was he was fun to watch. He's a guy who's been kind of just lingering in the Brewer system for a while. I believe he was exposed to the Rule 5 draft once or twice and went, went unselected, but he was called up by the Brewers last year. He's really figured things out early in the season and could be a, a late-inning option going forward, and he already has been so far. That was my next question. Knable's been less consistent by far so far in this short season. Do you see Devin Williams potentially taking over that role from Knable if, if things consider to, excuse me, if things continue to go this way? Definitely. I, I think that the way that the Brewers' bullpen is structured, it will be either Phelps or, or Williams getting those, those late-inning setup type situations. I think that Peralta will be kind of used in this role as the bridge guy, the guy who gets the game from the, the starter to the back end of the, the bullpen, kind of like what Suter's doing, but right. Peralta and Suter being, of course, much different pitchers. And then more of the middle middle relief type guys are like Claudio, Yardley, and pitchers of that caliber, Rasmussen and Perdomo, like we mentioned earlier. But I think Williams is even settling into this late inning role already. He's looked exceptionally good. And so look for Devin Williams to continue this success. I, I don't don't see a reason why it will stop. And he's been really fun to watch with his, his tremendous fastball changeup combination. Yeah, I think off came off the radar uh, for most Brewers fans. I have to say, I have to admit, I, I've even been surprised at how good he's been and the role that he's played so far this year. Just exciting to see, and hopefully this will continue the rest of the year. Yeah, and he was transitioned from a starter to a reliever last year in the minor leagues. He actually was able to uh, participate in the Futures game last last July. So that's a pretty big honor for a guy who really wasn't on any prospect radars previously. He was a second-round pick in 2013, but really had not performed up to expectations. But he's burst back onto the radar, and he's a guy who will have a big impact in the Brewers' bullpen going forward. The Brewers' bullpen continued their success in Game 3, taking an exciting game 6-5 to over the Cubs in 10 innings. The Brewers used bullpen arms Brent Suter, Corey Knebel, David Phelps, and Alex Claudio in this win. Exciting win for the Brewers, maybe the highlight of the season as far as exciting games go, 
I don't know. It's kind of what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. It was a nice comeback. Brewers seemed to have every win be a comeback for whatever reason. They were down 3 nothing early, tied it up, took a 4-3 lead. Knable came in and, and, and surrendered that solo shot to Steven Souza Jr. before they were able to regain the lead that they didn't relinquish in the 10th inning. The runner on second base rule coming into play in the 10th inning. The Brewers scored that run, and then they did tack on one more. Cubs scored one in the 10th, however, that, that clearly proved to be moot as the Cubs didn't score one more, so that run didn't mean anything in the end. I was a little bit nervous with Alex Claudio being out there for the save opportunity, but he did his job. He didn't allow a base runner. The run scored, but Brewers were up 6-4. Claudio allowed that run, but yeah, I mean, I thought Claudio did a nice job. Yeah, got the job done. Does does that an earned run still count just as much? No, that's just it's an unearned run. Okay, that's what it's considered. I guess it's inherited, so I guess I kind of yeah. I guess I, that I, makes sense. I think I think it should be. And also, if you have a ten inning perfect game, you can allow a run now. And so, if you are perfect through nine, game goes to extras, and you keep pitching. Let's say first batter ground out, second batter sack fly, next batter strikeout. You still have a perfect game, and if your team doesn't score, you lose. So you get a lose. perfect game. <laughs> so it's possible now. And so I'm really hoping to see that this year. Yeah, I think there's like, the odds are good that that's going to happen. Yeah. I think. <laughs> yes, <laughs> considering we haven't seen a perfect game since Felix in 2012. They seem to come in. Is it just me? Or, okay, I was going to say it seems well, like they come in bunches. Run, I think there were like six perfect games between like 08 and 2012. Let's see. We saw Felix and Matt Kane and Philip Umber all in 2012. And we saw... Was Kershaw's perfect, or was that no-hitter that I'm thinking That of? was a no-hitter. No Hanley made an error. Oh, got it. Yeah, that Thanks. was one of the best pitching performances as of late. But we also saw um, 2011, Roy Halladay, yep. Dallas Braden in 09. Right, Mother's Day, yeah. Yeah, and I know there was at least... Oh, Mark Burley was in 08 or 09. So, yeah, we saw a number of them in that time frame. Also, Armando Galarraga. R.I.P. Yeah. By the way, I had a dream about Armando Galarraga a few days ago. I don't know why, but it was something. It was something like he was pitching in the majors again, and he had a perfect game. And then he didn't have Jim Joyce as yeah, the first yeah, base umpire. I, I'm forgetting now. It was a few days ago, but I, or that they had replay and he didn't yeah, lose his perfect I game. I know. I know. It's so. one of those things where, like in other sports, like if we look at the Saints pass interference call that didn't happen and then they changed the rule next year so you could you could challenge pass interference calls you would have thought that after that galarraga failed call that replay would have been instituted like the following year but it took a while before that even happened baseball likes their their tradition that's for sure i think that that's something that we've seen since baseball started whenever that was yeah in 1860 was it 1869 we celebrated 150 years at least major league baseball right yeah, anyways, Brewers 6-5. They beat the Cubs and that was that was a big victory that they had. They entering Sunday are up two are have taken two out of three from the Cubs. The Cubs are now 13 and 5, Brewers sitting at 9 and 10. And so that is significantly um, better than they were after that first loss. They weren't looking good. Offense has come alive to an extent over these last couple of games. And so I think that the, they're more encouraging signs for the crew. Yeah, good things to be seen and taken away from this game. Um, Urias, who we mentioned earlier, going three for four in this game, having a nice game. And Avi Garcia driving in Yelich uh, for that first run in the 10th with a sharp line drive to right. Good at-bat there from Garcia. Uh, big RBI there. Hope to see Garcia continue to heat up. Seems like he has been as of late. Similar with Yelich and Hira. I think the Brewers' offense could come back. I mean, not come back. The Brewers' offense 
could really find itself quickly with a couple of those guys, a couple of those key guys being uh, Yelich and Hira, who have been underperforming this year. And we could see a quick turnaround, I think, with the Brewers' offense. Mm-hmm. Certainly. And I think it's, it's impressive that the Brewers were able to win 6-5, considering their top two hitters, Narvaez and, and Keston, combined for 0-10. for 10. And uh, I don't know if that's something to be concerned about. It's just one game. But it is pretty impressive, considering that then every hitter after them, outside of Arcia, was uh, at least one, one, at least had one hit. And so, yeah, the Brewers' offense, I don't know if I'd say firing on all cylinders, but definitely improved from the previous couple of games. Getting the job done and scoring more runs than the Cubs, pretty much. Narvaez now we see hitting only a measly 140 on the year with Manny Pena having a very strong showing. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on sample size and Pena starting over Narvaez, all of those things? Mm-hmm. I think that's something that should be should be analyzed closely about the playing time split. I think Narvaez is still, in general, the better catcher, but I, I think Pena is more than capable of handling the pitching staff and handling that position at catcher, uh, really even up to three or four times a, a week, or if not more. Narvaez has underperformed. I, I do think he'll turn it around, and it's not something like you can just have Pena become the starter out right now. Absolutely. Because that's right. not something that you should do. I think you, it shows a lack of faith in Narvaez that you would give up on him so quickly. But at the same time, I think that kind of riding the hot hand, especially with a str- an offense that's struggling, I think that'd be some, that's something that's important. Also, Pena is in general a better defender, but Omar Narvaez entering Saturday was leading the major leagues in framing runs above average with two, two runs above average. 0.125 runs per strike added is typically the measurement. So about for every nine, roughly nine, um, nine strikes, that were borderline pitches, that's, that is equivalent to a run. And about 10 runs is one win. So like the biggest the biggest framing seasons we might see are about 25 runs above average. Narvaez has somehow been the best at framing. Not sure exactly why, because he has... He's, yeah, he's not known yeah, for his defense, that's and for sure. he does not pass the eye test. And framing, I think, is one of the things that you can easily see in the eye test. Victor Caratini, was, uh, who was one of the Cubs catchers, there's a video of him going viral uh, among baseball Twitter about how great of a framer he was, and it was ugly. I tweeted about it numerous times about how bad it was. I don't really understand how people think that that's, that's good for a, a more of, a, more of a, a, a deeper fan of the game. And Narvaez is someone who's improved, I think, with, with the Brewers catching instructor Charlie Green. But I, he definitely has work to do, especially to get to the level of Pena. Even the games I've seen Narvaez behind the dish, I've seen a notable, a noticeable difference between Grandal last year and Narvaez behind the dish. Grandal known for his defense, but he looks a lot more comfortable back there. He makes the pitches look a lot better, at least in my opinion. And yeah, you mentioned the video of Caratini. I'm not sure... Who put that together? Who thought that was good framing? Cut four. Cut, yeah, I, I don't know. That was bad. Yeah, I, I don't really know. I think they were probably just out of Cubs content, so yeah. they just took a, <laughs> yeah. a compilation of Cubs catchers. Yeah, and Javier, Baez, Javier Baez didn't have a great a great showing. Ground ball went under his glove for a single and went 0 for 5 today. Yeah, that's true. They are so, like, oh, quick yeah. scramble. Let's find right, some Victor right, Caratini right. content there from you, uh, <laughs> Darvish's start. Maybe they had it like back up in case yeah. they're like, Aaron Judge is injured right that's now. That's true. Javier Baez had a bad game. They're like, shoot, what are yeah, we talking we, about? Brewers? No, 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 yeah, no, no, exactly. no. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so they had to go to the, the Cubs' backup catcher with his poor framing. 
And and so that was something that that I've just been noticing. And and I think it's something to watch about whether or not Narvaez's improved numbers can maintain be maintained throughout the year. And so I, I think that's something to watch going forward. Just a, a quick rundown on some of the numbers for the Brewers so far. Pena has actually been the most valuable position player based on wins above replacement, even in his limited playing time. Garcia next at .4 Fangrass wins above replacement. It has primarily been his defense, which has actually been okay, surprisingly, in center field. Jed Jerko has been providing some uh, good power, especially that home run that he hit. Brock Holt has been particularly bad, as have uh, Justin Smoke, who's been turning it around a little bit more as of late, but not walking much and striking out a ton. Gamble has been in a slump lately uh, after his hot start. And Sogard has been getting on base to a 339 clip, but really not putting the ball in play much. And, and the ball when the ball is in play, not falling for base hits, and his slugging is down as well. Yeah, Jerko also good uh, potential bullpen arm in case of a blowout too, going on in, uh, a scoreless inning, giving up just one hit earlier. I believe that was in the, yeah, that was a twin series in the Brewers game that they lost 12-2. Jerko pitching the ninth giving up a hit, uh, but going a, a scoreless inning. So he now is uh, alongside Josh Hader as only Brewers pitchers to not allow a run yet so far this year. Yeah, one guy that finally allowed a run was Eric Yardley, 1.08 ERA. And so... Um, Tough for you to see, I'm sure. I know, yeah. I think it's time to DFA him. <laughs> yeah, but, but I, I like Yardley, and he's done a nice job so far. Yardley actually has an interesting story. He came out of independent leagues the lowest level actually of independent leagues, the Picos League in um, the southwestern United States. And he worked his way up through the Padres system, kind of dominating at every level. And another guy who did that was the starter on Monday night against the Twins, Randy Dobnek. We mentioned him earlier, but he has a, a fascinating story. He attended Alderson Broadus University, typical SEC powerhouse. Um, Naturally. Of yeah, of course. Um not being serious in that one, a Division II school in West Virginia, the Battlers is their nickname, and almost nobody knows who Elderson Broadus is. Dominic said that he went there because they liked him a lot as a baseball player and they recruited him there. He didn't really have many other options, and so he, he went there, was pretty successful in his tenure, went undrafted, made his professional debut for the Utica Unicorns of the United Shore Professional Baseball League. And uh, he made an impression with the Twins, who actually never scouted him in person. The Twins only saw YouTube videos of him. They decided to sign him, and he worked his way up from there. He even got a start in the ALDS last year against the Yankees. Did not did not perform very well there, but Randy Dobnek has a, a great story there. Always good to hear just a true baseball story, unlike really any sports. Some of the stories that we have, uh, even I'm forgetting the name, of the, the player we saw last year who was a part-time Uber driver. Or was that Dobnik? Yeah, it yeah, was yeah that's Dobnik. right, that's right, yes. that's right, it was Dobnik. So yeah, just good baseball stories, just mm -hmm. a fun part of the game that we yeah. see. Yeah, and actually, quick, one other guy who, instead of going from independent ball to, to the affiliated baseball, um, going the opposite way from affiliated baseball to independent leagues, Tim Dillard is back in Milwaukee. He signed with the Milwaukee Milkmen, an independent league team that plays in Franklin at the Rock Sports Complex. I actually am an employee for the team, um, not like front office or anything, just part-time basis. But Tim Dillard, he um, he will be making his debut on Sunday. So this podcast will actually come out after his debut. 
but Tim Dillard is uh, is back as a, a member of the the Milwaukee professional baseball team, <laughs> I guess you could say. And for those that aren't familiar, maybe with Dillard and his antics, uh, former Brewers, been with the been with the he was with the Brewers for years. Yeah, uh, primarily in AAA, made some appearances out of the bullpen, known for his submarine style pitching and uh, strong personality on Twitter. Um, but a, a good good guy, fun to watch. Fun to see on Twitter uh, coming back to Milwaukee. So good for Dillard. I guess he's probably looking for a job mm-hmm. this year with no minor league baseball. Yeah, and this will be his 20th professional season. He only has, has played in the, the major leagues in uh, parts of three seasons, but he will be back for his 20th pro season. He was drafted in all one. He's actually Ryan Braun's age, roughly. He was in the same, the same, uh, the same high school graduating year as Braun. And Braun, of course, ended up being drafted in 05 out of University of Miami, getting a little bit of a late start to his pro career. Clearly didn't didn't uh, didn't interfere with him having a productive major league career. But Tim Dillard, great guy. He's got a bright future in baseball in whatever role it is beyond his playing career. And so, quick plug, be sure to check out the Milwaukee Milkmen. They're allowing fans into games, and it's a, a fun experience, especially with no Brewers baseball this year. Alright, so today's trivia question, like we mentioned at the beginning of the pod, who was the Brewers' first manager? Uh, David, any any guesses on this? Is, and again, this is 19, 1970, we're not counting pilots here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so my first thought was Joe Schultz, but then I realized he only managed the 1969 pilots. And Del Crandall, I'm pretty sure, took over in 72. And I was stumped for a while, and then, like, honestly, just now, and this is, this is real, I did not look it up, I didn't see anywhere... Dave Bristol came to mind. Is it Dave Bristol? That would be the correct answer. Yes. <laughs> I, I honestly, as I actually just start, I just started talking, and as I was thinking about Joe Schultz, Dave Bristol came to mind. You know, common, common yeah, things yeah, that yeah. happen naturally. Yeah, and so I, I'm actually a little bit surprised with myself, pleasantly surprised that I was able to remember Dave Bristol was the first manager of the Milwaukee Brewers. Yeah, Bristol, interesting managerial career, starting in 1966 with the Reds. Uh, they're from 66 to 69, then taking over th- for the Brewers from 70 to 72 before Del Crandall took over, like you mentioned, then having a stint with the Braves from 76 to 77, and then finally with the San Francisco Giants, 79 to 80. So kind of a long career starting in 66, ending in 1980. He did have 37 ejections. Not really sure what other managerial stats to throw out. I guess I could probably say winning percentage are probably more important than, he- than career ejections. But uh, anyways, first manager of the Brewers... Again, from 1970 to 1972, uh, only part of 1972, but three very rough years, 65 and 97, 69 and 92, and then 10 and 20 and 72 before he got the hook uh, for Del Crandall. Mm -hmm. And he is a member of the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame, actually. Uh, Quick side note, he managed the Reds for a few seasons, was was not that successful, so I'm kind of surprised why he may be in the Reds Hall of Fame. Uh, but I believe he did end up working for the Reds uh, after, um, afterwards. And so Sparky Anderson took over from Bristol after the 1969 season. 1970, Reds win the pennant. And so the, that year they lost to the Orioles in the World Series. And that kind of started that run of, right. of the big red machine. One in 75, 76 under Sparky Anderson. And Bristol was a big part, I think, in developing those players, developing the guys like Pete Rose, Tony Perez. They acquired Joe Morgan a little bit later. Um, but but some of those guys, Johnny Bench, that were a big part of the big red machine. So that I think that's a big part of why he is in the Reds Hall of Fame. Yeah, interesting fact there from, from David there. 
But yeah, Bristol, manager from the Brewers, for the Brewers from 70 through part of 72, and over 1,400 games managed. So not a game, not a name that you hear brought up often. Uh, so there you have it. There's your trivia question. If you have a trivia question that you want to hear, tweet us at Brewers Podcast on Twitter. Uh, give us some ideas. We'll throw them on. Test David. See if we can actually stump him on one of these. I thought I might have had him on this one. But, uh, of course, Bristol. Dave Bristol comes to mind right at the last second to, <laughs> to save the day for him. So tweet us at Brewers Podcast with some trivia questions. Let's try to stump David and, and uh, see what he's got. Yeah, so the Brewers did take yesterday's game against the Cubs 6-5. This is David here just filling in the gaps that we missed due to the recording on Saturday night instead of Sunday night. It was an exciting game. They came from behind once again. I don't know how many times the Brewers have scored first in a game. They did have that one nothing victory last week. However, they really haven't haven't taken early leads much throughout the year. But a strong showing from Arcia. Arcia was 3-for-4, finished a double shy of the cycle. Luis Urias, 3-for-4 as well. Keston Hira and Yelich each had two hits. Hira with that big three-run shot in the third inning. So those were definitely some bright spots. And good to see Hira and Yelich having good games as they're the guys that will that will propel the offense, being, being the, really the main anchors there. Ryan Braun actually led off this game. Ryan Braun leading off for just a second time in his career. He led off one time in 2015, and Braun did play right field. And so it was his first time on the field starting and playing really pretty much the full game until Gamble came in as a defensive replacement late in the game. Justin Smoke DH'd, and Jed Jerko played first base. So that is a, a bit of a change there, but not overly surprising. Jerko's been swinging the bat pretty well as of late, and John Lester, the left-hander, being on the mound. So Jed Jerko being kind of the guy who hits lefties well. And the Brewers wanted Urias' bat in the lineup alongside Arcia's, and that clearly proved to be a good move by Council. Urias is hitting 474 through his first week. Arcia's average up to 304 now. So he's been up and down. He started off really well in that first game or two. And then since then, not very good until the last series. Maybe it's just a Cubs thing. He has to be hitting like at least about 400 against the Cubs this year. But I guess that's the best team to uh, to do your, your most damage against the Cubs. Brewers had a group effort on the mound. Lindblom went five innings, five runs, eight strikeouts. Yardley came in through an inning and didn't allow any earned runs, but he did allow two inherited runners to score of Lindblom's. Devin Williams came in through a scoreless inning, as did David Phelps. Josh Hader once again not allowing a hit. Brewers pitchers had 16 strikeouts on the night, so a pretty high number there. 16 strikeouts in nine innings. Lindblom, of course, paving the way for that with his eight Ks through five. But Yardley, Williams, Phelps, and Hader, those are the maybe the four best relievers that the Brewers have had so far alongside Freddie Peralta. And the Brewers' bullpen has been a bright spot so far. So great to see the Brewers take three out of four from the Cubs. That's a, a big thing. And the Brewers sitting at 10 and 10 now, tied with the Cardinals officially. Cardinals are 4 and 4, but the Cardinals have, have to make up a lot more games, so it's unlikely they'd be able to play fully at the level that the Brewers will be able to, considering their pretty comparable talent level. But the Cardinals will have to play a lot of doubleheaders. Cubs 13 and 6, Brewers 3.5 back of the Cubs sitting at 10 and 10, Cardinals 4 and 4, Reds 9 and 11. And Pirates at 4 and 14. Pirates really have been eliminated already for all intents and purposes. And it seems like it's it's kind of shaping up to be the four-way race that we thought it would be. Cubs will probably continue to come back down to earth a little bit, 
Brewers run differential actually sitting at negative 12 with those 3-1 run victories against the Cubs being being more of note. And, and the 12-2 defeat at the hand of the Twins is going to mess with the run differential a little bit. So don't want to look into that too much, especially since Council has proven to be able to be a successful manager. The run differentials really never line up with what they should be with their estimated win and loss record. Considering Council being a great manager, the Brewers just have have that. They they have shown the ability to win games even if they may be less talented than other teams. And so that's something that really could continue this year and it has already so far. So just to recap the the previous week, they lost two out of three against the Twins, lost four to two, one six four, and lost twelve two in those three games against the Twins. Brewers then facing the Cubs at Wrigley, four games, lost the first four to two, Darvish pitched exceptionally well, and then the Cubs fell to the Brewers three games in a row, Brewers 4-3, 6-5, and 6-5 once again, and so Brewers take three out of four. They finished the week then at four and three, so a pretty good week for the Brewers. It was at the first time that they won three consecutive games this year, and so to happen against the Cubs is really the, 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 the most optimal opponent for that to happen. Brewers now travel to Minneapolis. They have are off today, Monday, but they have a, a three-game set with the Twins tomorrow, Tuesday through Thursday. Burns-Maeda is the matchup for Game 1 of the series. Burns retaking a rotation spot with Lauer being optioned to the alternate training site. Brett Anderson versus TBD on Wednesday, and then Woodruff versus Jose Barrios, a matchup of aces there. And so that'll be a good matchup on Thursday. Following that matchup, they will be headed to Pittsburgh to play the Pirates. Probably will have a, a few rain delays, maybe even rain out since it always rains in Pittsburgh. But pitching matchups are still to be determined for that one. You'd have to figure that Hauser and Lindblom would likely get two of the starts there being their spots in the rotation. However, it still is to be announced. And so that is looking ahead at this upcoming week. Twins and Pirates, three games each following the off day today. And so just to recap... Brewers sitting at 10 and 10. Pretty good week, and thank you for joining us. Um, I'm really enjoying doing this podcast. I'm I'm glad that we still have Brewers baseball. They're a third of the way through the season already. Kind of crazy to think about. And, you know, the trade deadline is coming up in two weeks, August 31st being the trade deadline. You have to think that Stearns might make a couple moves. He's not one who normally sits idle for a team that really should be in contention, especially with the expanded playoffs. There probably will be less sellers considering... That some of the traditional sellers that we might have seen will will be vying for playoff spots. The Giants are are well below 500. They will be sellers. Pirates will be sellers as well. Boston likely will be. Detroit's now nine and ten, kind of falling off. So if they continue their slide, they'll probably be sellers at the deadline. As will Kansas City and Seattle. But really outside of that, Baltimore's 12 and nine. Miami is performing pretty well, and so. You know, we might see only a few a few sellers and a lot of buyers. And so Brewers likely could use maybe another big bat. Um, I think that that's kind of the, the area that they need to approve upon the most. The bullpen has actually been pretty solid, and I think it'll continue that way. Rotation is doing okay. Lauer will likely rejoin the rotation at some point from the alternate training site. And so exciting to see what the Brewers might do at the deadline. You'd have to hope that Stearns is able to make some moves and improve the Brewers Ball Club, but but yeah, that, that will wrap up our episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. Again, thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate your support. Be sure to uh, rate and subscribe our pot, to our podcast 
Um, and, and follow us on social media at Brewers Podcast, Instagram, and Twitter. So thank you for joining us and hope that you all have uh, a great off day for the Brewers. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this and go Brewers. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. We'd appreciate if you subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. Make sure to check out our blog at bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Brewers Podcast.